you have to do something. You have to take a chance. You do have to get involved. There are people that are having, having trouble. There are people that don't have enough to eat. That, there are people that are cold. You can go out and say hello to these people. You can take an old blanket out of the closet and say, here, you can make them a sandwich and say, oh, by the way, here. I get it now. And if you give, then you then it can happen. Then it can happen to you. It's not just the poor and the hungry. It's it's everybody who's got to have this. Whole, and it can happen tonight for all of you. You, you but, And then you'll want it to happen again tomorrow. You won't be one of these bastards who says fraud. It's not. It can happen every day. You've just got to want that feeling. And if you like it and you want it, you'll get greedy for it. You'll want it every day of your life. And it can happen to you. I don't, I believe in it now. I believe it's going to happen to me now. I'm ready for it. And uh, it's great. It's a good feeling. It's, it's really better than I felt in a long time. Hello, everybody. And welcome to Carnival Personnel Sideshow. This is Jacques. Uh, this is Biff. And we have a very special guest, Abby. Say hello, Abby. <laughs> Hi, everyone. I'm so happy to be here. So I'm going to get right into how Abby and our world kind of came into each other's orbit a little while ago. But I wanted to start off by saying when we moved back from Cutter, we specifically moved to Lowell for a lot of reasons. You know, the diversity was one of the big ones. We really liked the school that the boys were going to be going to. Uh, management did a lot of research. We loved the school that they went to, and we loved the community that it went to, and we became friends with somebody who's a mutual friend with Abby and I almost right away. We've always liked so many things about Lowell. When we moved here and management's mom, everything kind of went sideways with her, we were just so blown away with the level of service we got for her from the state and this local daycare program that she went to. Uh, community service and volunteering has always been huge with the wife and I because, you know, from dog rescue and, and a lot of other things. And when we moved to Lowell, you know, we wanted to, like, to continue that. And we moved in in November, and right away we did this Elliott Church, big Thanksgiving, um, you know, bunch of people, you know, feed a couple hundred, you know, homeless people. And it's great. But we didn't want to be the, we're going to do this once a year. Let's put it on Facebook how wonderful we are because we, you know, we give a couple hours once a year in Thanksgiving. And then the rest of the year we step over the homeless. So when we came back, you know, we, we really wanted to be more part of the community because the community was so welcoming. We got so much stuff out of it. We loved the boys' school. We loved the program my mom went to. We, we liked our new friends. Volunteering has been something we always wanted to be big with our boys, or at least them understand it. Like, look, you never, never miss the opportunity to help somebody because it's the most selfish thing you can do. You know, also that said, and I've told the boys this, I cannot tell you how many times my life has gone sideways and, and how many people have, have leaned down to give me a hand to help me up, whether it was something just went sideways out of my control, something unfair and unjust, or just my galactic stupidity that took me down the wrong road that I needed to be redirected. I have so many karma debts I'm never going to be able to pay. There's a couple people in my life who tr truly, truly if I live a – thousand lifetimes i'm never going to be able to say thank you enough i'm never going to be able to you know balance the scales and they got nothing out of it Tr truly nothing out of it in my personal life you know everybody's had hard times and i've had so many people there to pick me up and and some of the darkest moments in my life 
aren't really dark because those are the moments I found out how many wonderful people I have and how truly I'm as close to George Bailey at the end of It's a Wonderful Life you can be. And, and, the, and the bad moments, actually a pretty good moments when I look back because that's when I realized how many people are in the corner. So we get back here and, and we just want to do more and we can't. And we're doing outreach, and in the, the soup kitchen basically said, oh, every day of the month, the calendar is this church or this church comes in. It's one church that has a big kitchen, and they can do it, and they open their their kitchen and their dining room up to other churches to come and use it, which is wonderful, but we're not members of a church. You know, it's 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 you, you'd be surprised how few atheist churches there are. So, you know, my sister's been, you know, a big volunteers person, so we would help. Occasionally, management would go to the stores and buy toiletries and food and go put these gift baskets together. We would drive around town, which was nice. There was, you know, in the dashboard of my car, I keep a billfold with, you know, what I like to call stripper ones. But there's just so many homeless people on the corner. And and if I don't see one on another corner, my boys will notice and will, you know, turn around and... You know, a couple times the boys have been like, well, what are they going to spend it on? It's like, dude, it's cold. It's 10 degrees out and snowing. <laughs> you know, if this helps them get through the day, that's all they're thinking about. So we were really looking to volunteer. And then COVID hits. And we have more house than we need. Um, you know, I work out of the house anyways, but we're in a situation right now where we were okay when a lot of people weren't. And we hear about this organization that came out of nowhere. And we were on the first phone call and we said, you know, everybody introduced themselves. And we're like, well, we have an extra room if people are displaced from ULOL and they can't get back to their home countries and they need a place. We can do this. We have cars. We, you know, how can we help? And I'm going to say, just before I turn this over and, and, and reintroduce Abby. We've been looking to volunteer, and it's actually sometimes, and once you're in the volunteer system, you're in and you know, but we we did outreach, and we had trouble getting hooked up. COVID hits. Lowell has a lot of challenges as is. It has a lot of challenges. There's a lot of wonderful things about it, but it has its challenges. COVID hits, and this group that Abby will talk about how it came together, came together, and I hear about these stories. We've all seen the news stories. I personally never saw people get together so quickly, mobilize, and not just good-natured people who want to help, but good-natured people who want to help, who have the ability to coordinate, to schedule, to put teams together, to problem-solve. The few phone calls I could sit in on because I don't have the patience to because they're trying to solve a lot of problems out of my jurisdiction. But but the wealth of information and resources that they pulled in and their contacts, I'm a big believer in the, you know, the rising tide lifts all boats. They put this organization together that I cannot stress enough how lucky I feel to be the tiniest cog in the wheel. And I've talked about it almost every week on the podcast. Uh, like literally I do not look for or need a pat on the back. When I say it's the least I can do, I've done the math. This truly is the least I can do. But there's a lot of really special people who put this together. So with that said, Abby, welcome to the podcast. Could you talk something about, because I don't even know how Lama came together. Yeah, it's really interesting. So I think to explain Lama, you have to have a little bit of understanding about Lowell. We are a city of 100, about 110,000 people, and that may be a little bit different 
once we get our new census data. Um, so what had happened is when COVID started, so I actually was not involved at the beginning of LAMA. I have a bad habit of sort of getting involved and taking over things and making things way bigger than they need to be. Um, but there was a group of, of people, primarily women, who were already knew each other. You know, as much as we're a big city, we are also a small town. Everyone knows each other here. And if you work in any sort of social justice field, if you work in any sort of human services field, you're gonna know everyone else who works in that field. So folks who already had those existing partnerships kind of came together and started this mutual aid organization called LAMA um, that, you know, it's a model that existed in a lot of other cities at the time. It started in Boston, it started in Somerville, you know, all ac across the country at the beginning of COVID because really a lot of those systems that people normally rely on just, just didn't work. Are basically all of the systems that made our society work, especially for some of our most vulnerable neighbors, fell apart. You know, like if you couldn't go to a, a food pantry because you were quarantined at home with COVID, what were you supposed to do? There, there wasn't anything to do. Um, so I think it was this really unique moment of people with these, with this variety of skills coming together and sort of making these new logistical sort of avenues for people to get their needs met in our community at this unique time. What does llama mean? Because I get asked all the time, and all I remember is Lowellians lifting, and that's it. <laughs> so it's lifting Lowellians, assistance, and mutual aid. So it is one of those things where when there's a hurricane, when there's a flood, when there's a natural disaster, uh, it does bring out the best of people. This... Some of the things that really amazed me is, again, how quickly it came together. And I, you know, it's our mutual friend, Laura, who I think told us about, oh, there's going to be this thing because, you know, one of our sons is best friends with this woman, Laura's daughter. And she told us, oh, there's going to be this phone call. And like I said, we were on the first phone call or maybe it was a second phone call and people mm -hmm. are like, this is who I am. These are some of the resources. These are the things that are important to me. And and it was everything across the board from feeding people to, um, and, and this is a year ago this week. This is one of those, uh, what are people going to do about being evicted in this time? And what are people going to do about, the, and then there was things like, well, the needle exchange program isn't going to be open and how do we find clean needles? And there was just so much. And, and finally I kind of, piped up and I'm like, okay, well, I can't solve all these problems, but these are what I have at my disposal. Here's my phone number. Call me if you guys need somebody. And it was within a week and it might have, you know, been one of the many friends. Like these are the people who have become real friends and the diverse people who put this together. Somebody called and said, can you dry food on this day? And, you know, it, 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 it turned out like I, I would meet the the van and I don't even know who came up with a van I don't know I don't know where any of this money came from so so you can talk about that in a second but it blew me away it's like oh can I show up at point A and carry heavy things and put them in the back of the truck and then follow the truck to point B and unload it and then a bunch of other people will come in that night on Wednesday night and separate it out and I ended up coming in and doing that uh, that was very hard that was I. And then and then a group of drivers, me being one of them, would show up on Thursday and I would get a piece of paper saying, here's who you take the food to. And, and that for me was the best part. It's like, 
you know, okay, carry these. We bag these groceries. They're heavy. Carry them to your car. Drive them to these people's houses. Call them when you get there. Leave them at the front door or or, or these things. Um, where did the money come from? How did, you know, who, who came up with a van? Who came up with all this stuff? I mean, I just remember I met you at a number of times. Food warehouse place that I don't even know those places restaurant depot is that what it was called we were, yeah. We, okay yeah, restaurant depot. Mm-hmm. where did all these resources come from so I got involved in sort of mid-march and we had so I where I work which is a family resource center um we I run a food pantry there and we get food from a food rescue organization in Arlington Massachusetts called food link and I was like well we're not open so but that food is still a resource that we have, right? So why don't we somehow divert that food to this organization that is, and everyone's like, that's going to be too complicated, which sort of became the um, the theme of this. Everyone told me it would be too complicated. So I'm autistic. I'm really interested in systems and logistics, and I'm really good at seeing, you know, who has what I need and how can we put all of that together and make it work? And the pandemic was a really unique time where Nobody cared about the way that you did things. And that was like perfect for me. I was like, great. You don't care about like the social mores. You don't care about like how we're doing things. If this is the red tape and the bureaucracy, I was like, all right, I'm in. Um, So initially when we, when I was involved with Obama at very first, how it was working, this is how it worked in many other cities, almost every other city with mutual aid is that basically there was a list of people who could offer things to the community and there's lots of people who had needs and they would be matched up basically. And um, so a person who needed food, then a person who, who could you know either deliver the food or buy the food would be matched up with them to deliver it. Now, the problem in Lowell is that we have a community with a lot of needs. We have a lot of low income um, families in our area. We have a lot of folks who are homeless or struggle um, with food insecurity. And that became a lot worse, obviously, during the pandemic. So I was sitting in this meeting and I was like, this is so inefficient. Why don't we start a food pantry, right? So then we can pool all of our resources and make sure that everyone can get food because this system of matching people up does not work in a community like ours. So I ended up meeting this woman who runs another organization called Lowell Alliance. Her name is Nancy Cohn. And we basically worked together. I think we started talking around March, around this time, honestly, maybe a little bit later. And we had our first deliveries going out on April 1st. Um, Nancy had gotten a grant from somewhere or like mom had gotten donations or something. I can't even remember at that point. Um, And then we got the food from Food Links. And that was our first, we started at the church and that was our first um, week. And I think we served like 30 or 40 families that first week. And we did it for the next six or eight months um, until people started having to go back to work. And at our height, we were serving about 80 families or about 300 or 400 people a week. Here, here are some of the things that is great about working with Abby. Uh, so self-actualized and so upfront. <laughs> no, you're so upfront about I'm autistic, which means I have trouble with X, Y, and C, but I'm really good with these things over here. And one of the first times I, I, I met you, and I think it was at the food pantry, very honest, it's like, Okay, you got to let me know if I go off the reels hair because I can get bossy or I can get like this. And I'm like, yeah. 
I mean, and just, <laughs> just no, just throwing it out there, and being honest. And I'm like, dude, I'm not that smart. I can carry heavy things. You just tell me what to pick up and where to put it here. And we're going through the store, you know. And and it it be it's funny because I I'm at the point in my life where I don't know if I'm really happy or I just don't give a fuck about a lot of things. <laughs> like when I go shopping, I'm. Never going to make the mistake of guessing, okay, what the wife sent me to get, they don't have. But this is kind of the same thing. Nope, I FaceTime and I hold the phone up or I take pictures and send it. So when we're going through the the the, uh, the rest, restaurant depot and Abby's like rearranging stuff, how I put on the cart, I just step back and I'm like, I'm not this guy. It's like, dude, I know what I'm doing. I know how to put I'm like, she's like. I like to do things this way. I'm like, dude, I'm just here to push this behind you. You tell me what to put up. But 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 the absolute honesty about like, hey, this is how I am. Let me know if I'm going sideways here or here. And it, it, it just works. And again, however it started, um, our friend Nancy, by the way, Biff, uh, 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 her whole family plays hockey, including her. Uh, we've nice. had great hockey talks. But these people all came together, like I said, who are good with this, good with this. This might be their day jobs over here. However, they got it all together. It's just I would show up and just be amazed. It's like, A, where did all this food come from? Oh, this week, the first week, the first week it was kind of a cluster. The second week, Mm -hmm. the second week, though, it went from a total cluster to a cluster. And the week after that, it went to things are starting to get streamlined, you know, and everybody took input. Like I ended up saying to like Nancy, it's like, if I can get the addresses the night before I can plot out, Oh, I, I you know, it's cause I don't know Lowell that well. And so I, I could plot my day and she's like, Oh, all the drivers should be there. How helpful everybody was. Um, I would get to a house or I would call a house who doesn't speak any English, which is funny. I've talked about this on the podcast. It turns out, if somebody speaks a different language than you, the, the whole American thing of speaking slower or louder, Spanish people do that too, you know. And and people were trying to, and I would call my wife, and and she would, she speaks some Spanish, and it really helped. Uh, I usually like to text saying, "Hey, I'm going to be there in 15 minutes," or the night before, "I'm going to be here in this window." And one of the really nice volunteers, I'm like, who spoke Spanish, I'm like, "Can you text?" Can you write a message on my phone that I can copy and paste when I go to Spanish people's houses? But but so one week you get there and there's all this food. Where did this food come from? And then the next week you get there, it's like, oh fuck, somebody somebody decided, you know, we should also get these people toiletries. Like you know, this was during the height of the toilet paper crisis, and they somehow were were getting toilet paper to give these people. Oh fuck, now they get diapers and baby formula. And it was like week by week the resources that that Abby and the team were able to put together and I would just come in and and you know I it was just amazing how thoughtful and how widespread it was um like like who decided oh okay it's got to expand be, beyond food that they need these other things and we can put the same apparatus how did that come about yeah so actually in the very very beginning um, we were only shopping at Costco. I like didn't even know Restaurant Depot existed. I didn't know how to get a um, how to get a membership to be able to shop there or anything. And this was again during there was like nothing. Like the shelves were bare. So here I come buying you know sixteen 
or 30 dozen eggs and people would give me like really dirty looks. So, and you know, in the very beginning, it was just whatever we could get, whatever we were like allowed to buy enough of. And, you know, there were days where I would go to seven or eight different stores and buy as much chicken as they'd allow me to. Um, and I think, you know, from the very beginning, we just kind of got like whatever was available, but we also understood the other thing that's really important about toiletries and why those are really important to us um, is because folks, you know, there was a lot of increase in SNAP benefits for families during the pandemic, but those don't cover um, hygiene materials. That doesn't cover any cleaning materials. And obviously when you're in a global health pandemic, uh, you know, cleanliness is critically important. You can't fight the pandemic and you can't fight the other effects of the pandemic, uh, this illness, the COVID-19, if you don't have a clean home and you don't have, you know, nutritious food and the ability to keep your body clean. So that dignity, I think, is really important to me. And I think a lot of people sort of forget that piece of it, but especially in this context, it's critically important. Um, it, it, it was one of those things where... Um the more the more things that were there when I, I was picked up, I was always, you know, pretty amazed. Taking a step back at one point, uh, management went in a couple times and she bagged the night before. She was part of the Wednesday night crew and she came home almost in tears. And then when I did it, she had told me about it. But it's one of those things when you experience it, it was really hard because you're given here's the 10 families you're packing bags for. Um, there's eight half gallon things of milk. <laughs> and you, you are now Oscar Schindler, <laughs> you know? and you're going through this. It's like, okay, which family? And and Abby knows this. Um, I'm not good with those kind of decisions, so I would just go and buy more milk. You know, um, it, it, I would. It, it started to be like, oh, okay, well, you know, and, and, and what really is is crushing when you see the diaper request and, and and that came later that was a couple months later they started providing diapers and when you were looking at the form it would say the diaper size dude when you see zero or one you know that thing is fresh out of the oven and yeah. you know and it's like oh and then it hits you it's like it's not a chunky guy like me at home who maybe misses a meal it's not the end of the world but we're talking babies and formula and then there'd be some times when i would you know, I, I would text saying, hey, I'm, I'm I'm here, I'm dropping it off. And the next day or the following week, you know, over the weekend, I'd be like, oh, you know, we're out of baby formula. Do you know if somebody can bring it? And I'm like, sure. And that somebody's like either me or my wife. It's like picking it up and dropping it off. And then I would, you know, and then somebody from Lama would be like, oh, if you do that, just bring a receipt. I'm like, yeah, I think I can swing, you know, when, you know, and, and it there's a whole different conversation when you go into a store and baby formula is locked up behind. It's like, you know what? Put that out front and put a fucking take me sign on it. Like jack up the prices of like, you know, the sugared cereal back there. But if somebody needs this, the, the street value of baby formula, I, I don't know. Do, if you're smart, can you make meth with baby formula? Why would you no, want but that I mean, it, 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 it's, it is, you know, that, that, that's going to be lead to a whole yeah. separate discussion about why certain things are locked up and others are not, but that's its own thing. Uh, but yeah, but I, I guess I kind of want to ask in, um, in terms of, you know, and, and obviously this pandemic is a new, um, you know, a new set of rules, if you will, but just in general, like 
having done this for about a year now, um, what have you observed as like just, you know, I don't want to call it a government shortfall, but just a so societally or just in general, you know, where do we kind of, you know, uh, in you know, fail in terms of you know helping the you know the most vulnerable and the most you know, you know, you know in need. Oh man, I don't know if you want to hear my opinions about that because I have a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think if you're, you know, you know, I'm like 25 years old. I'm multiply disabled. I work part time as an administrative assistant, and you know, we're in a situation where the, the actual like government of the city is sending the Red Cross to me. Like, in my opinion, if we're in a situation like that, something has gone critically, critically wrong. I honestly think in almost every situation, especially here in Lowell, um, where we live, the government just totally drops a ball. There were times, I think, especially in the very beginning, where, because the, the wheels of government move so slowly, there was no way possible that places um, or any sort of governmental structure or bureaucracy was going to be able to sort of um, conform to this new norm as quickly as possible. I think things are certainly getting better, but I also think there's a sense of fatigue. Like we weren't, a, we were, we had to close down the pantry at the end of last summer because people had to go back to work. You know, there's the demands of capitalism. Well, well, um, a lot, a, a lot of our volunteers uh, were yeah. teachers. And they yeah. were like, if I if I was teaching remote, I could swing it, but my town is having me go back in in person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there was a. I think that's a big part of it. A lot of like organizations, government organizations, kind of or corporations, kind of decided at a certain point, like in the fall, like all oh, the pandemic's over, like oh we can start getting back to normal, even though things like were not normal at all. You know, some of the good things, and and this this just hap started happening a few weeks ago, as far as I know. You know, one thing is, I guess they kept the diaper thing going. You know, so that that was, uh, what do you call it, like a diaper pantry, but like. Yeah, so Nancy's actually, her organization has run a diaper bank in Lowell for the past, I think, like 15 or 20 years. Just the way that they were doing that has changed a little bit. Um due to COVID, so they're bringing them directly to families, whereas in the past, the diaper bank would bring them to organizations like where I work, and we would distribute them to our clients. So some of the positive things that Lowell did do, and I don't know who did this, but one day we just get, this is back in April, like mid-April, we got EBT cards, if I'm saying it right. I, um, basically, this, I don't know if it was a school committee or the town said we're budgeted for five dollars and 41 cents a day for kids and even when the schools were closed last spring you could still go and get your school lunch you know you you could come by and pick it up but the majority of kids in lowell are dependent on the school bus to get there to get their school lunch uh, lowell is one of those towns and it is credit where credit's due there's no paperwork to fill out you don't have to be an aide if you show up you get breakfast and lunch at schools it, it, it's yeah. a no questions asked thing so they're like oh people can come and get this but then they realize people can't get here so let's send everybody ebt cards which are great and we called and we're like how do we donate our ebt card and they're like well you can it's tied to your kid's school number which i get so you want to have fraud but so this year it started and the food pantry closed down and I understood why. And I was really sad. And plus my little guy was sad because it's something that I did with my youngest son, you know, and for the most part, he liked it. He, he really did. Like there was a couple times where, you know, 
he was frustrated. He want, you know, he didn't want to do it on a certain day, but he went one one day. We got the wrong address. It was like you know Wilson Street, and it was supposed to be Wilson Ave, and it was completely on the other side of town. And he's like, "We're going to be doing this all day," and I did. I pulled over. And we had a talk. I'm like, "Dude, I get you being frustrated, and you totally have every right to be. I don't know when we get home, but the people on the other side of this transaction don't know when they're getting food. So you're really on the lucky side of, yeah, I don't know when to get home to get to play my Nintendo Switch. These people are like, I don't know what I'm going to eat. So let's be really thankful we're on this side of the coin. Someday you might be on the side of the coin. Let's just hope there's things. But but as far as like Lowell goes, what, what ended up happening, and I don't even know who contacted me, and, um, but I'm lucky they did. We live close to a school and it's been closed. The, our school's been closed all but three weeks up until recently. And La, somebody inside Llama or it was Llama directly started a let's drop the food off program because the school makes the food every day and it sits there. And, you know, we, we, we want to go out of our way to get this. But I, I was running errands. You know, there's only a couple things that the kids like that they give you, like the, the, the single size of cereal. I would pick up the lunch, but I would see walls of food, and they're like, yeah, if not enough people come to get them. And then sure enough, about a month or two months ago, somebody called and said, hey, we need you know some people to do this, and I do it on Fridays. And it's, it's, it literally makes me feel good to, again, do a very small part, but a lot of I don't make the food. I don't pay for the food. I don't organize who gets on the list. Um but whoever put that together to just find different ways to serve, it's just unbelievable. Um, but, but you kind of, you know, raise an interesting point. Cause like, and, and I kind of, I t- totally feel your pain, uh, Abby, uh, in, in, in light of something like this, where, so I, I, I don't mean, unless they, you know, they furlough the bus drivers, right. The, yeah. there are people who know where to go. Right. And, but they just have nowhere, nobody to pick up, but you know, why can't this be a push where, you know what, every day, they're going to go on their bus route and they're going to drop off food to the places where they used to pick up kids. Right. I mean, Oh my God, you know, why, that's genius. You know, why can't yeah, you just do so, a reverse of that? Right. You know, so a lot of, a lot of communities were doing that. Okay. Um, and I've had it out. I had it out with city council and other, other people and mama had it out with city council because they came up six ways to Sunday excuses about why they couldn't do that. And I'm, I'm sorry. I know this is like a public, you know, uh, podcast and I'm probably not supposed to shit on our local city council, but I'm not big fans of them. And wait, wait, did you did you excited. use any did you use any anti-Semitic terms when you were? Oh God, <laughs> my my family's actually Jewish. Well, I don't uh, know so... if uh, that was a big thing here, but somebody on the city council threw out a, uh, a you know it, it it was it was national yeah. news. I ended up seeing a blurb on it on uh, oh, CNN. Yeah, so they... no, but it was bad. It was the guy was really uh, bad. <laughs> so the other thing that happened was that so every the entire state, everyone in the entire state got pandemic EBT. It was a statewide program. And in Cambridge, Massachusetts, there was like a city councilor, whoever, who made this program with, that matched families, you know, like yours, Jacques, who didn't need the pandemic EBT cards with families who needed them. And I went to city council and I was like, well, can we do that here? And they were like, no, that's not allowed. Right. And I was like, oh, okay. And I feel like every time, you know, we saw these really interesting things that other cities were doing and we asked folks to do it here, um, asked like our city officials to do it. They just weren't interested or made excuses why it wasn't possible. Um, and that was really, that obstruction was really frustrating. 
I mean, that's really like, I mean, it's that, and certainly, you know, disappointing, right? I mean, these are the people who are supposed to have, they're working, they have their jobs because they're supposed to serve you. Yeah. And, and you have to go to them with ideas on how to do their jobs. And then when you give them the, you know, the solutions, they're coming up with reasons not to apply them. So that's, you know, you know, Look, and, uh, you know, you know, obviously I've heard this, you know, nationwide, but you know, things like that is really just so frustrating and disappointing. The, 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 the thing that made sense is when they're like, look, it's to prevent fraud. And I get that, but you know, and I will not go off on a tangent, but when they're like, oh, well, one out of every 50 million people who voted in the last election might have been fraudulent. Let's throw out hundreds of thousands of ballots. It's like, you know what? Yes, somebody it let's accept it. Somebody is going to find a way to cheat. Somebody is going to get a leg up. Somebody's going to get away with something. But it's one of those things where it's like, okay, well, let's feed the 50 people who need it. Like, let's take the 50 people like our family who right now we're in a position where, you know, it's like, you, you know, it, it look at the EBT card's nice. I'm glad it came, but it's like there's people who really need it. And 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 maybe one out of every ten, one out of every twenty, one out of every five, there might be fraud, but you know, the majority of the money is going to go where it really needs to go. And you're gonna have to just accept, you know, it, it's it's like a lost leader. You, you know, Target knows X amount of things are gonna get shoplifted from the store. Um, and it's a cost analysis. It's like X more security versus you know but yeah, so if one out of every whatever, but when they said, Oh, it's fraud, I'm like, Yeah, I get that, but Really, this is this is this is not a lot in our world. It's a huge amount in other people's world. How can we do that? But they're like, no. If you do it, and and they, you know, your ID, like I said, is your kid's um, school uh, school ID number. Then they're like, oh well, it might shut the whole system down. So don't do it. Yeah, that's actually not true. You don't need ID to use any EBT card, and it's actually illegal federally to ask for ID. I know I'm probably selling Karen right now, but it's actually, yeah, it's illegal federally to ask for ID with any EBT card. We didn't know about how these cards work. It's funny because there's there's certain older members of my family who watch a different network, and they live in a town where there's a lot of brown people, and they'll see these brown people using an EBT card, and there might be some cigarettes and alcohol mixed in with what they're buying and i didn't know this it's interesting you know <laughs> you know management and i don't drink or smoke but it's like there's some food that you can't buy there's some like you know um like snacky food and stuff like that so when you put in the ebt card it just deducts out the food that you can buy it it's automatically in there so you know if you want to pay for the other part of your groceries another way but you know i've tried to explain that to people it's like look i didn't think that people could buy alcohol with the EBT cards, but now I know firsthand the person behind the counter is all automated. They don't decide, you know, they scan it all in, and then when you go to pay for it, it will only. So, like I said, you know, the fraud. It's interesting. You have a couple like challenges that you deal with. Am I crazy, or does it seem like the people very often, not not always, I shouldn't generalize, but so often you see the people who are giving the most are the people who are in your position, who have different challenges that have to figure out how to navigate through the system, who are like, you know what? I'm lucky that I figured out how to navigate this. Let me take my time, effort, and what I learned doing this. It just seems like the people who don't have, you know, and I, again, a lot of the people that I met doing this, not a lot of wealthy people, not a lot of fancy cars showing up, you know, to, to the food bank to deliver 
but it's the people who don't have the, a lot to give often are the ones who give the most. Am I crazy in that analysis? I think it's about perspective. You know, I think that people who have been through it, people who have been there, who've gone through different systems, um, you know, they, they have that perspective of knowing how bad it can get and knowing that, like you said at the very beginning, you've been given a hand up and I feel like you feel a responsibility to give other people a hand up. You know, being a young professional woman with autism, I feel a responsibility to help other people come up in the world and help other people be successful and help my community because I've had so many people that have helped me. And, you know, and, and, and yeah, maybe that, I mean, look, there's been spots when I've lived in the car because I was chasing a dream and it was hard to have a day job doing that. And that was a choice I made. And then there's sometimes, uh, you know, things were out of my control, but, but it, it is, it's interesting earlier on when, you know, when Biff was talking about this, it's, there's so many problems that could have an easy solution and, and, you know, with the bus dropping off the food and I don't know why there's well, I do know why there's a pushback. I, well, or maybe I don't know. It's like right now when you hear the pushback about minimum wage and some of the arguments where people are making minimum wage, I have a family member who had to work very hard till they broke through the fifteen dollar an hour threshold. Wait, wait, before before yeah. you get before you get to that, yeah. I also want you to think about that in the context of if those same people are the same people that are willing to say, you know what, I'm willing to pay extra to make sure everything is made in America, because you can't have it both ways. Right. No. It it and it and it's true. But but just sticking on Lama and what we do locally, I mean, do you you did you know a lot of these people before you said this is what your day job is, and a lot of people came together. How did the whole apparatus get to where it did so quickly? Like, um. Like who 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 is it who said, let's do this in Lowell because it's being done otherwhere, and at what point? I mean, I don't know if the, it doesn't seem like there's a hierarchy. I'm I'm kind of all over the map here. It kind of seems yeah. like everybody because I get the emails and I get the invites to be on those calls. I just don't have the mental where with all to to be on a two hour call about these things. Um, uh, you know, I'm just happy to get the call. It's like, okay, we well, need you, you know, to show up you, here. If you get everybody dressed as Batman, you might be able to have, right. <laughs> seriously, you know, if yeah. they sprinkle on a Patriot talk, I would fall. No, but, but so, so, so where's Lama now and where do you see it headed over like the next year? Cause, so cause there's actually, still challenges. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually not as involved with Lama. I've had a lot more, um, responsibilities at work over the past uh, six to eight months. And, and now we are um, being expected to go back into the office. We're transitioning. We're a walk-in family resource center and we're starting the transition back to that as, uh, as we've um, all gotten our vaccines. So I think Lama, as far as I can tell, I think a lot of people are experiencing that. I think there's a lot of pandemic fatigue. There's a lot of compassion fatigue. I think they've transitioned more to advocacy. So trying to get to the root of the issue of why these problems became a problem in the first place, why inequity exists in our society and how we can address that on a, on a community level. And the day job, uh, did you always know you kind of wanted to go into like a public service kind of field? Yeah, so my background is in education. I wanted to be a special ed teacher. Um, I got really sick in 2016 and I had to drop out of school. 
and I, you know, was a little bit just like drifting. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. And I moved to Lowell and I was taking some community college classes and I took a human services class. And I guess I didn't understand what human services was. I, so once I took that class, I was like, yes, this is exactly what I want to do. I really love the woman who taught the class. And one of the lecturers who came in ran, you know, this, this place where I work now. And I started volunteering there and it was exactly what I wanted to do. I love working there. I love the environment. I love being able to have a direct impact on people's lives and be a problem solver at work for uh, these families that we work with. And I wouldn't want to be doing anything else. Is, is which I think I know the answer, but I'll ask anyways, do you think it's a bigger problem, the resources available to people who need them or people not knowing where to find the resources they need? Um, I honestly think it's a mix of both. There are certain things that are a little bit easier to tackle, like food. You know, you can give, you can get someone groceries for $50 a week. Housing, that's a whole other ball of wax. Like there's no way, like that was something that came up in Llama a lot was talking about housing grants. And I was like, how could we possibly do this? We are really stretching ourselves just running the food pantry and the food pantry we're spending, you know, about a thousand to twelve hundred dollars a week. But if you're talking about a housing grant, that's a thousand dollars just for one person, not for, you know, 300 people. The, the amount of money and the amount of land and the entire system, you know, for certain things is so convoluted and so expensive. So I think there's certain things that need to be fixed at a more structural level. And there's certain things that are a bit easier to address in our communities just by getting people connected to different resources. You know, because one of the things I remember, you know, and I've, I've, I've joked about it, slash slash talked about it slash joked about it on the podcast before there was a couple times when i was delivering for llama in these neighborhoods you know one of them was kind of this weird lowell has some weird dead-end streets and streets behind streets that you don't know about till you get there and i was delivering to the last house in this and a bunch of people saw me delivering and they started like coming to the car and I, almost it was like a, a dawn of the dead type thing and um, I'm like, dude, I don't even know. It's like, there's a Facebook page. I've never been on, I'm not a Facebook guy. Um, but they're like, well, how do I sign up? And and I felt so bad. It's like, and I, I ended up, I think I called Nancy. I'm like, hey, can you text me what to tell these people? And it was one of those things. It's like, there's resources out there, but these people just didn't know where to turn. And there's, I don't, I don't know if there's enough outreach or people aren't looking in the right places, but I, I think... You know, as I was doing it, it seemed like a lot of people didn't know there are resources out there, but you need advocates to help you guide, you know, where to find them, you know, connecting them from point A to point B. Um, well, that and, you know, like Internet's become like, a, you know, a primary utility in mm -hmm. so many functions, but it's still, you know, I mean, a lot of us take what we do on the Internet for granted, but without realizing that a lot of people, you know, don't have internet as a kind of a, a regular use utility uh, and it certainly and that the, some of them comes uh, because of economic reasons some of it comes from generational reasons I mean I mean we've talked on the podcast before about you know our friend's you know dad who's you know 90 and you're supposed to sign up online for his COVID vaccine and it's like and then he was supposed to be there with a QR code and it's like yeah I mean you were talking a foreign language to, the, to this gentleman <laughs> I, you know and so like 
I, you know, there, there is, um, I certainly want, um, you know, I, I, I do want to see uh, internet become more, you know, available and less costly and really have, there should be an internet lifeline the way they used to have telephone lifelines. I mean, telephones aren't that useful anymore because organizations don't want to man the phone lines. They just want to do everything by internet. And so I think we really need to get to a point where, you know, just, um, you know, these utilities and the government combined really need to provi start providing these lifeline internet services. I mean, I think we're really at that point. And then, the, you know, these people need devices. I mean, you know, it's, it's not, it's, you know, there's a, a huge gap between, you know, a basic telephone that essentially you push the numbers and, you, you know, you're, you're talking did all the work versus, you know, what you do on the internet. So I think, you know, there is a lot that, yeah, it's cheaper for a lot of, you know, organizations that just do things over the internet, but there's so much more cost to the people who really need these, you know, access to these services, I think. You know, one, one thing that surprises me, that's an issue that, you know, I actually, I noticed uh, one of our son's, you know, theater group, you know, sang a song in front of the school committee um, just before everything shut down last February as a way to fundraise to see if they could get more money to do two plays a year instead of one. And then when things went sideways on, on the national news, because, you know, a gentleman, you know, just kind of threw out the anti-Semitic thing who w was a city council member. Uh, when you talk about like your dealings, Abby, with the city council, does it not shock you that we live in the city of Lowell, one of the most ethnically diverse cities in America, but yet the entire school committee, most of the school committee and the city council look like me? I mean, how can that be? Even in a town this diverse, everybody still looks like me. And I wonder how much of a problem that is because truly – I'm not going to know a lot of a lot of the strife that these different communities have in our town that as you drive around, there's there's, you know, all these little pockets that is that are these these neighborhoods that I think probably are underserved because they don't have a voice. Yeah. Uh, so I'm actually not surprised by that at all. Um, you know, white power sort of strives to protect itself. Um, 90% or something of, it's not a hundred percent of our city council comes from one neighborhood, which is the wealthiest neighborhood in our community. Um, and hopefully this year there's a new system of voting that was decided by a lawsuit because there is not fair representation of especially our Asian and Latino communities, which are a huge percentage of the population here in Lowell. Uh, so it's incredibly important that we get more diversity on the city council. And I'm really hoping now that we have these new voting blocks that are set up, um, that it'll it'll get better. You know, it's funny because I've I've actually toyed with the idea of running for different offices before. I mean, I'm a political junkie. I want to do more. But I mean this when I say it because <laughs> there's enough of me out there. There's enough of middle-aged, junky white guy sitting on the school <laughs> committee board. And, and, and truly, even the neighborhood we live in, we do not – the neighborhood that Abby is talking about, going – the history of Lowell, it was a mill town. It was, it was the center of the known universe around 1840, I, and, and that's not hyperbole. Lowell was the center of the world during the Industrial Revolution, and you have you still have these tenement houses where the mill girls worked, and then you still have the mansions with a mill owner, and there's a section of town where it is the most beautiful, huge, 
you know, 1840 houses that are immaculate. And that's where all the, the politicians come from. The section of town that we live in, most people think we live in Tainsboro. Like, like there are people, our, our sons went to school on the other side of town. And when we would have, you know, gatherings, birthday parties, or, or have people come over for pool parties, there are some people who are like, I didn't know this part of Lowell existed. It's like, oh, when did you move here? Uh, my mom was born here. <laughs> like, and, they, and, they, and they didn't know that, that it, but like, that's what I mean. You know, it's, but when you, when my son went and he sang at the thing, and we're in the balcony and management, my wife and I were looking down, it's like, Old white guy, old white guy, really old white guy, old white guy. And, and we're like, dude, you, you know, we chose, we specifically chose Lowell versus living in the town where my brother and sister live because in that town you are eighth generation uh, Irish American or ninth generation Italian American. You're either white or translucent. And, you know, where the boys grew up, you know, in Los Angeles, and, and we lived in a very diverse neighborhood. My friends are very diverse. My man, I mean, management's friends are very diverse. And then we lived in the other side of the world where we were the people with the accent having trouble with the language, and we never felt more welcomed anywhere than when we moved over there. So we wanted to live in a diverse community, but it is. It's sad that, you know, 150 years later, no matter how diverse Lowell is, that the shots are still being called by guys who drop, you know, anti-Semitic things in city hall meetings versus people who look like Biff, people who look like, you know, my wife, people who look like, you know, my son's friend's parents and stuff. I don't, I don't know how to make that happen, but I think a lot of the problems that you're trying to deal with, that Lama's trying to deal with, that your family service is trying to deal with might be a little better served if there were more either, you know, people like you who have these challenges who understand it or people who look like Biff who understand those community needs and those those communities are vibrant communities who are just underserved or or you know they pay their taxes they pay whatever but they don't get the same resources you know that the other people do yeah you know it's interesting i actually toyed also with the idea of running for city council but at the end of the day like i live in downtown lowell i live um you know in a place where it's an old mill um, but there's condos here that are like $300,000. We don't live in a condo we rent, but there's a lot of young white people that live in my community. And, you know, I'm, I'm engaged to someone who's Syrian, who's Muslim. So I have that perspective, but I'm not, I'm not a person of color. Like I'm never going to understand that struggle from someone who's actually, you know, lived that life, someone who's had those um, prejudices against them. So I think it's really important that we hold space for people of color and that we allow them to be in positions of leadership and we kind of step back and let them speak for their own communities. Yeah, I mean, if, if I, I go door, like, you know, I, I think I have a lot to offer. I would love to do it, but truly in this town, they don't need anyone else who looks like me. If anyone else came by and like, hey, I have this campaign and they look, nothing like me. I'd be like, how can I sign up? Where can I door knock for you? What literature can I hand out? Um, but, but your, your family service thing, how, how much is it changing now that, that everything is starting to open back up? Is it, is it overwhelming? Are there more problems now that you guys are dealing with that ex didn't exist before COVID or is it just leveling off to the way it used to be? No, uh, they're the same problems, but even more so we're seeing a lot of people 
who never would have even imagined having to be involved in this system, never would have even imagined having to ask for help, coming in, you know, being really overwhelmed, really ashamed. Um, so I think we're in a position of really needing to offer those services to the community, offering food, you know, tangible items, help applying for housing assistance, help, you know, getting their kids transitioning back to school, um, other things that they may need help with. So I think we're really the next front line. Once we're feeling the economic effects of COVID, once the virus part, we're kind of coming out of that, the economic blowback, I think, is what's really going to put a lot on, on organizations like ours. You know, it's interesting when you said you're dealing with people who never saw themselves in this position. Another really good teachable moment that came about my little guy being on the deliveries with me is a couple times we delivered to houses much nicer than ours. And my little guy was like, well, they don't need this food. And, and again, yeah. it opened up the conversation. It's like, we don't know that. Like, they might have been fine before this. You know, and I'm not getting into the whole social thing with him. It's like, look, if you make $100,000, you live like you're making $120,000. If you make $10,000, you live like you're making twelve. Like, but, people live beyond their means. You know, that's a good point. I mean, even in LA, it was actually reported, you know, they've had these uh, drive through food pickup events. And, you know, there, the, the media has been reporting, you know, the, it's just surprising the number of cars that we would consider to be luxury cars that were in line to get food. And, you know, and they spoke to some of those people and it's just like, you know what, you know, this is, this isn't what we, you know, expected to do, but, you know, we need this now. And so, you know, it, it, you know, it, this, yeah. you know, this, this is a, no, it's, it's a, it's a big event, right? This pandemic is a big event and it has turned people's lives you know, upside down, literally. But in that, and that was it. I mean, it's like the person might have a tricked out Range Rover that costs $75,000 and that was fine for them to buy it. And they're not sitting in a, well, line. I would say that that, that was never fine to buy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But point, that was a different decision. But, but that was a different decision. But, but like, like, you know, when we would see a, homeless guy and, and my sons who are so anti-smoking they're like if we give him a dollar he's probably gonna send on cigarettes it's like dude what else is he saving up for a throw rug it's like we i really worked on them or i work on them it's an ongoing thing about not judging because we don't know and i'm like nobody is standing out here in the rain because they're lazy and they don't want to get a real job you know what i mean this is harder than any job i've ever had standing out here doing this and the same thing if you have a really nice car you're you're not sitting in a in a line for two hours to get a twenty five dollar bag of groceries, you know, to to cheat the system, you know, and and so that was why when we went to the really nice house, there are there's lots of people who never saw themselves, you know, who worked at food banks for it, and that's what I've told my my little guy. It's like we might be on the other side of this coin. You never know when, and you and not judging is important because the shaming of people. I mean, it's not. You're not a bad person because you need a hand. And, and and the stigma that, you know, and the number of people who need a hand. Before the pandemic, I remember it was a big thing that went around the news. We talked about it on the podcast. Before the pandemic, over 50% of this country, you know, had said if they got an unexpected $400 bill, that that would wipe them out. Right, right. That, yeah. that, 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 you know, you blow a tire and you have another tire that's worn down and you have to buy two tires. That's the difference between being able to get to the next month and being 
completely flat broke. So, so you know, the stigma that, that goes along with needing help, you know, that's almost as bad as the, you know, the, the needing the help, you know? Um, so it's interesting yep. that, that you're, you're dealing with, how do you feel about being back in the office now? Um, it's, I'm glad, I'm glad we're back in the office. I'm glad because it makes it a lot easier. You know, everything is 10 times harder when you have to do it remotely and have to figure out how to get things to people and get these forms filled out and everything. And also just being able to collaborate because a lot of these cases are very complicated and everyone has different specialties and expertise. So, you know, when we were in the office before, if we had like a really complicated case, like someone was, you know, imminently homeless and pregnant and, you know, hungry and all these things, or the kids were having school difficulties, whatever, you know, I could just go to the back and talk to our school liaison and say, here's what's going on. Or I could talk to someone that knows a lot about housing. But now with the pandemic, you know, we'd have to call all these different people and, you know, they may be busy or you don't know what's going on. So I think it's a lot easier to collaborate and to, um, you know, simplify things when we're in the office together. So let me me start to wrap it up and, and get some information out of you. If somebody wanted to go down this path as a professional, you know, what, what, you know, human service professional, what are some of the places you would suggest people to start their journey down this rewarding road? I would look up just like in your community organizations like food pantries, organizations um, that uh, have housing, different things like that, and find out about volunteering at those organizations. You can also take classes at your local community college on human services or anywhere else in your community. I think there's a lot of places that need help. Um, So just get involved with that, start volunteering. That's how I got started in my job. And uh, you you just keep showing up and eventually it kind of turns into a career. And what is, for somebody like me who doesn't know where to tell people to go for services, what is like kind of a blanket thing, you know, to throw out to somebody who might need a lifeline? It's like, hey, here's where you can find resources. What is like kind of the best thing that I would need to know to be able to spread that on? God, that's such a hard question because it depends on on each community and each state's different. So a lot of times, you know, your local, um, your statewide uh, hunger and homelessness commission may have a listing. If you go to any like food um, service agencies, they may have listings for things like that. Uh, but again, it really is. It varies on town. Biff, you got any any questions? Um no, except to just uh, we want to make sure uh, is there if, whether it be your organization or any other organizations, is there an organization that you want to make sure we plug, that we push, that we you know all that stuff. I I've probably said some things that my organization would not necessarily agree with. So I'm not gonna. <laughs> okay, I'm, not, I'm just not gonna completely say where I work. <laughs> completely cool, completely cool. Yep. Okay, but uh, and then in terms of you know you know llama, I mean. Uh, you had said that you've kind of, you know, uh, transition. You know, your your situation is not quite as involved. But um, do you do you, uh, what do you see as the future of that organization? Do you see if kind of folding in with something else, or uh, you know, what what do you what are you thinking in terms of how that's going to happen? Yeah, I think they really focus on advocacy around housing because that's a major okay. need in our community and it's really difficult to address. So I think they're going to continue with that. They're going to continue okay. with the um, Black Lives Matter advocacy, being involved in our local voter system. I think the, that piece is going to become more important as time okay. goes on. Okay, that's fun. Yeah, well, that, that sounds fantastic. 
Abby, thank you so much for doing this. If you do decide to run for office, I am happy to volunteer for you. Um, The boys will be happy to volunteer for you. And I will say this. I I know you've both said your kind of your opinions about, you know, well, we don't need another one person that looks like me. But on the other hand, you know, uh, if they if there are no allies for these other groups, I, you know, no, it doesn't matter what your, you know, skin color is. If you're going to be an ally for those people, I think those kinds of people are important to be in, you know, the governor organization. So I, I would say that, you know, if, you know, I would say don't necessarily make that the reason as much as, you know, you just know that I think that there's a lot of good that you can do as an ally to a lot of these, because a lot of the people, you know, what we're dealing with a lot of the times are people who are basically against, you know, helping a lot of these people out. I mean, we've seen this time and again, especially, you know, over the last year and a half. So. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for jumping on. Um, and I will see you very soon. Oh, and, but first of all, Thank you for all the work you did with Llama and opening up the opportunity for my family to get involved and volunteer. It has been COVID has been a very hard time for a lot of people in the country. Um, my family has has luckily just hasn't, it, you know, I, there's a lot of hurting people going on and we've been very, very lucky. And Llama has been a small way that has allowed us to. Uh, say thank you to the galaxy for you know the stars aligning the way that they did uh, but we are we are eternally grateful for the friendships that we made and the volunteering opportunity that the organization created and you were a gigantic part of that whole apparatus and and you know the friendships like the ones that we have it, 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 it's it, it's been a wonderful experience and it's awful to say oh we've had a wonderful year doing this in the worst year of recorded history you know <laughs> no but you you took that opportunity and you made the best of it and i think that's what really matters so thank you so much for having me everyone have a great night thank you so much you too
If it's 